0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetsuit. This episode was recorded in Seoul on the afternoon of Thursday, November 17th, 2022. And my in-studio guest today is John Brzezinski, retired from Unkmac, and we'll be talking about the armistice and violations thereof. But first, please leave a review about this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you use and share this episode with colleagues, friends, and even people you don't know. On Spotify, you can leave a rating but no reviews. Uh, And on YouTube, you can click like and subscribe. Secondly, check out nknews.org, where you can find lots of in-depth stories written by the journalists who I work with each and every day. And consider buying a subscription for a year. It's much more affordable than you think. In fact, if you sign up for the annual plan, it's less than a dollar a day. Thirdly, follow us on Twitter. You can find nknews.org, one word, on Twitter. And myself, it's J-A-C-C-O-Z-E-D, or Z-E-D, if you must use the American pronunciation. All right. My guest today, to give him a more full introduction, is Mr. John Brzezinski. John retired from U.S. government service in September 2020 after working for UNMAC, and we'll find out more about what that is, for over 20 years as its international relations advisor to the general officers who make up the UNMAC Commission, as well as the UNC commander. Uh, John, thank you for coming on the show.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having me.
0: Uh, would you start by telling us about your previous job. And actually, walk us briefly through your history in Korea since 1972, because you've got a long time here on the peninsula, uh, as well as the 20 years that I mentioned uh, as a member of the United Nations Command Military Armistice Commission Secretariat.
1: Sure. Uh, I I will uh, preface my remarks by saying, uh, number one, I had uh, really no idea what the armistice was. Uh, When I first arrived in, in Korea in 1972, I was a Young enlisted man down at uh, Osan Air Base, spent 13 months down there. Uh, I returned to Osan in 1981, Uh, spent another three years as as the only engineer assigned to an intelligence organization, Uh, and then uh, came back again uh, in uh, 1992, spent a couple years as an engineer at Osan Air Base, uh, and then moved up to uh, U.S. Forces Korea as the uh, uh, Deputy Assistant Chief of Staff uh, for the Engineers. But in that time, from 1972 through 1994, all, all of those years, which was almost 10 here in country, I couldn't tell you what UNC or the Armistice was. In my time with USFK, there were some incidents that occurred when I was on the Engineer staff, and we had to support uh, the United Nations Command Military Armistice Commission, uh, UNCMAC, uh, and so that was my first experience uh, after uh, spending uh, three years down on Okinawa, I spent my last two years of active duty in the United States Air Force, uh, reassigned to UNCMAC, mm. uh, this time as the uh, international political military affairs officer. Uh, and uh, it, was, uh, it was eye-opening, to mm. say the least. Uh, and uh, after I retired f- uh, from the military service, I was fortunate enough that I was hired back uh, as a civilian, as the uh, international relations advisor and or IRA, uh, something that most of my mm. British friends don't like to hear, uh, right? But it it, it was a, a a quite a quite a uh, an adventure. Uh, I know you had uh, Steve Began in here. Yes. There. Uh, I as I recall, he was quoted in Atlantic uh, as saying that he had met the North Koreans seven times. I've met the North Koreans over two hundred. Good gosh! I've okay. stopped county.
0: <laughs> wow. All right. Well, if, if we were to uh, to go through each of those meetings, that would be quite a number of podcasts. But uh, we'll see we'll see how much we can download from your brain today. And then we may have you back for a, a second episode later on. Sure. Uh, so I understand that you began your work at, at UNCMAC as the International Relations Advisor in June 2000, or more or less around the time of the uh, Kim Dae-jung-Kim Jong-il Summit. Is that right?
1: That is correct. I was fortunate enough that uh, I arrived in country five days before that summit. I had been following it uh, from down in Okinawa through the media, uh, and so I felt very fortunate to be here in country when when that happened. Mm,
0: Okay. So now today we're going to focus a lot on the armistice agreement and violations and alleged violations thereof. It's very much a hot topic here on NK News uh, the last month or two. So could you give us a brief overview of the armistice agreement and especially how that applies to... Uh, the three zones of, of land, air, and sea.
1: Sure, the armistice agreement, first and foremost, is it's a ceasefire agreement, mm-hmm. uh, and it is a military agreement, as you know, signed by three military commanders. Uh, the uh, it is applicable uh, to uh, both military and civilians. Uh, when you look at areas such as the demilitarized zone, there are some who question whether the United Nations Command has any authorities uh, over civilians in a demilitarized zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I believe that that's a uh, misinterpretation of the preamble uh, of the armistice, which says uh, that this is uh, it, it is written on military matters. But I believe that was uh, placed there to distinguish between military matters and diplomatic matters, because you recall that uh, later in, uh, when you look at it probably paragraph 62 or 63 uh, of the agreement, the agreement talks about having a conference within three months on the diplomatic and political, uh, ch- uh, through diplomatic and political channels uh, to resolve the issue. So right. the, the agreement was essentially intended to last 90 days, mm. uh, maybe a year on the outside. Right. Uh, and we're approaching 70 years right yeah. now.
0: Yeah, I, I guess as a, as a comparison, there was the armistice that ended World War I, which, was, uh, which came into effect on the, the 11th of November. Uh, and then they had the whole conference of Versailles to work out the, the peace treaty between the, the, all the nations of, of Western Europe. Uh, and that took a year or so. And then by, after that, the armistice was no longer necessary because you had a, a formalized peace treaty. Exactly. And right.
1: that, that was the goal, uh, the initial goal for right. those who framed the armistice. And this armistice, of
0: course, was was the result of the two and a bit years of negotiations, first at Kaesong and later at Panmunjom.
1: That is correct. the The beginning of the armistice covers the various domains, the, the applicability. It established mm. the uh, the demilitarized zone. Yep. It established the military demarcation line as a line through the through the middle of the uh, demilitarized zone. Essentially, saying first here's the demil- the military demarcation line, yep. and then pull back. 2,000 meters on either side, and that establishes the DMZ. In addition to that, the uh, armistice talks about that the forces on either side will respect the land that is under the control of the opposing side. Now, you have to take into consideration, uh, at the time the armistice was being negotiated too. Uh, that the uh, North Koreans essentially had no Navy. Mm-hmm. Uh, North Koreans had uh, no Air Force. Mm-hmm. The uh, Allies had air supremacy. Uh, and so the uh, paragraphs that cover those two domains, the sea and the air, are, are almost vague. Right. Uh, but it was probably, again, in, in the, with the intent that this is only going to last for a short time so it, right. it really doesn't matter very 90 much. 90 days to a year as you said Exactly right in in the the C domain uh the one exception is that there is a uh, subparagraph that mm-hmm. outlines specifically that the five island groups the Northwest Islands right. uh,
0: Pyongyangdo do and the other three
1: That's right that those would remain under the control of the Commander United Nations Command mm-hmm. essentially the Commander United Nations Command had control of all the islands, right? Uh, and he essentially ceded control over all but those five.
0: Ceded control to,
1: to? To to the north. To
0: the north. Oh, I see. Except for those five. Right. Right. So you say that the uh, so in the armistice agreement, because of the lack of, of air and sea power uh, held by North Korea at the time of the signing of the armistice, there really isn't much about air and sea.
1: That, that's right. It, essentially, it says that uh, uh, you will not... Uh, for example, with the air, uh, you'll, you will not, uh, operate the aircraft over the demilitarized zone, uh, and you will respect the air over the land spaces under the control of the opposing commander, Right. i.e. you will not fly into North Korea if yep. you were coming out of the rock. Right. Uh, and the same thing applies essentially, uh, in the sea. And of course, now we have that, uh, little asterisk and, and, uh, the uh, idea of uh, having the uh, NLL, the Northern, Northern Limit, Limit Line, line. established. Yeah.
0: Let me come to that in a second. I want to sure. go back. So uh, the, the MDL, the military demarcation line, would is that more or less the same as what was the, the line of control or the line of contact uh, between the, the opposing forces on July 27, 1953? Essentially, yes. Okay. Yep. So there's a, wherever your soldiers are, Drawback two thousand meters, right, and that will be the southern and northern limits of the of the demilitarized zone.
1: That's correct. And uh, the armistice uh, specified that the military demarcation line would be marked so that both sides knew where it was. Right. So uh, the uh, the forces went out and put stakes in the ground mm. uh, twelve hundred and ninety two, stretching from the west coast from the Han River estuary all the way out to the East Sea.
0: Right. These are the the yellow. Markers, the, the
1: the ones with the yellow signs on there, uh, in English and uh, Hangul, facing to the south, mm-hmm. and Hangul and Chinese facing to the north.
0: Okay. Uh, now you mentioned that the three parties signed the armistice agreement. Who signed it, and who refused to sign?
1: <laughs> well, uh, let me start with the the beginning. Who signed it? Uh, uh, Kim Il Sung signed. Uh, Kim Il Sung signed as the supreme commander of the North Korean People's Army mm-hmm. uh dehua signed as the commander of the Chinese People's Volunteers uh, and then uh, it's uh, Mark Clark ah. Gen- General Mark Clark signed it was uh General Harrison that uh, who went to uh, uh Panmunjom and did the countersigning because there were there were uh, five signatures at the end of the uh, armistice agreement ah. the, the three principal commanders who Really, that's who it applies to, and and they assume the responsibilities by signing for it. Uh, And then Nam Il representing North Korea and and the uh, CPV, the Chinese People's Volunteers, and uh, General William Harrison co-signed as they exchanged those 18 copies of the armistice agreement uh, Mm. up in Panmunjom. Uh,
0: Now, who didn't sign?
1: Well, let me add one footnote on the signatories, and then I'll address that who didn't sign. Uh, When General Clark signed, General Clark signed on behalf of the United Nations Command and the countries that provided forces Mm -hmm. during the conflict. So thus, not only was he signing for the United States of America, but also the other countries that provided the combat forces and medical support and the Republic of Korea. Now, that's the sticking point always. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, Sigmund Ray did right. not want to sign the armistice agreement, but he relented at the very end. He was able to use that as leverage uh, to get uh, financial support he needed for the country for rebuilding anyway, mm. and then finally conceded. But his opinion was that they should fight till the last man standing.
0: To, to try to unify the country. Exactly. Yeah. Now, the Chinese People's Volunteers... That's distinguished from the P- People's Liberation Army of the People's Republic of China. Uh, what's going on there?
1: <laughs> That's interesting. The Chinese people's volunteers probably had some volunteers. Mm-hmm. And then there were, and I would probably assume that amongst those uh, were some who felt that they had just finished the civil war in China. Yep. They did not want to stay on the mainland. And they were looking for a way to exit and so one course of action was then to join this group fight in north in in korea many of them were captured here and mm-hmm. in fact the republic of korea uh transferred uh and transported a large number of them to yep. taiwan uh after the armistice was signed there i'm sure were some regulars uh but that it's hard to say uh, a lot of confusion and depending on who you who you read and what you read who was flying which jets over North Korea, yeah. uh, and who was uh, as part of the, uh, the the ground forces there also?
0: Is there a direct line of control between the Chinese People's Volunteers and the People's Liberation Army?
1: Not that I'm aware of. In fact, years ago, uh, you're you're well aware that uh, now the Republic of Korea is uh, doing a lot of. Uh, excavation for Korean War remains, right? Uh, and they do find Chinese remains, right. uh, and these days, they've been sending those back uh, usually once a year in the spring, about March or April, they uh-huh. do it, uh, and uh, the number was uh, large, the, the number that was on hand. In probably the early 2000s, we, the United Nations Command, before the Republic of Korea started getting into this, uh, we tried to return uh, some of those re- remains to the Chinese, and uh, we spoke to the North Koreans in Panmunjom, uh, hoping that they would be our uh, conduit. And after several meetings, they finally got sick of listening to us and said, go find the Chinese and talk to them instead. Oh, So we did. Yeah. And uh, we spoke with the Chinese defense attache mm-hmm. at the time here in, in Seoul. Yeah. And the first meeting we had with him, he was quite positive. He said, well, we want to follow the armistice agreement. Right. Uh, and we took that as a positive sign. And about two or three weeks later, we met for dinner again and, and uh, more discussion. Mm-hmm. And at that time, uh, he told us that he could not—he he said those remains are Chinese people's volunteers— and Armed People's Liberation Army, you have to find the Chinese people's volunteers.
0: Did they have an office or a PO box? Nothing. An email? No, Nothing. no. Okay, no. God. <laughs> uh, now, does the fact that Syngman Rhee refused to sign the armistice make it any less valid or legitimate?
1: I don't think so. Again, uh, the fact that it was signed by uh, General Clark on behalf of of all the uh, combatants on our side, I think, added the, uh, uh, the validity to it. And I don't think that the, uh, the Republic of Korea had... Initially had difficulty with it because uh, it helped uh, with the security of this country.
0: Uh, the uh, the Chinese People's Volunteers removed themselves uh, from uncmac in 1992, and North Korea stopped attending meetings. Does that do anything to the validity of the agreement?
1: It doesn't do anything to the validity of the agreement, uh, but it does make it difficult to continue to implement the mm. agreement. Uh, although I I will tell you that. Uh, from some of the uh, old timers that I spoke to, who were on the military armistice commission back in the early '90s, uh, and had met in in some of those meetings with the Chinese, were uh, the Chinese were not contributors. Uh, they they sat at the table. Uh, sometimes they slept at the table. Uh, sometimes they didn't even have the uh, the the KPA leads talking points. So that mm. made it difficult.
2: Oh
0: gosh, yeah. Uh, Now, almost ten years ago, uh, in March 2013, the uh, the government in Pyongyang declared the armistice agreement to itself to be null and void and invalid. What effect did this have?
1: None. Uh, And what they did in 2013 was one of probably at least ten occasions uh, when when they disavowed the armistice agreement. Uh, However. when you look at it, the first of all, the armistice agreement has a paragraph in there that says that the agreement can be terminated or it can be amended with mutual consent from the opposing sides uh-huh. uh, so that's number one
0: right, so it's only invalid if everybody agrees that it's invalid exactly, and if only North Korea says it's invalid, that doesn't mean anything
1: exactly and and number two mm-hmm. uh, the the a point that that I've always stuck with is go to Panmunjom on a tour uh, and try to step across the military demarcation line. Uh, The North Koreans will honor that military demarcation line. They honor the demilitarized zone. Uh, So in my Uh estimation, I have always uh, uh, termed their uh, participation in the armistice agreement to be uh, selective Mm -hmm. uh, uh, implementation of the agreement. When When it meets their needs, Mm. Uh, than they do.
0: Can you help me understand the distinction between the United Nations Command and the United Nations Command Military Armistice Commission? Are they the same thing, or are they two different bodies?
1: They are two different bodies with the United Nations Command Military Armistice Commission being answering to the United Nations Command. The UNC-MAC on our side represents the UNC commander. The UNC was established by the uh U.N. Security Council resolutions, 82, 83, 84, and 85 uh, from 1950 at the beginning of the the conflict. Uh, The Military Armistice Commission wasn't established until the armistice, and it was established as part of the armistice, Mm. one of the mechanisms in order to uh, implement uh, the armistice and and to maintain it uh, and to control it. So it's not only the the, the the MAC, the Military Armistice Commission, but also the Neutral Nations Supervisory Commission, Switzerland, Sweden, and originally Poland and Czechoslovakia, and then the Neutral Nations Repatriation Commission, mm-hmm. the only one of the three commissions that completed their right. mission uh, and uh, was was then disestablished.
0: Is there a, a, an equivalent of, or was there an equivalent of uncmac on the, the other side of the demilitarized zone, one that involved the uh, Chinese people's volunteers in North Korea?
1: That, that's correct. They, they, I mean, they were originally, uh, if you will, the KPA MAC, mm-hmm. uh, Korean People's Army MAC. In the uh, early 2000s, I guess it was, when they were going through one of those throes of we're disavowing the armistice agreement, uh, they said, uh, we are no longer the, the KPA MAC, ah. and uh, we are now the KPA Panmunjom mission. So, change their name, Uh uh, but for, you know, it was uh, the same friendly faces uh, we saw the next day, the next meeting.
2: Right.
0: uh, Okay, so, but as you said there, the the UNC, the United Nations Command, was something that was created by the United Nations Security Council Resolution in 1950. But authority to to run the UNC was handed over to the United States military. Am I I understanding that correctly?
1: Well, the United States functions as the executive agent. When you look at at those uh, Security Council resolutions, Resolution 84 Mm -hmm. says that the United States will establish a, quote, unified command, Mm -hmm. uh, which will accept the offers of assistance from other countries. Resolutions 82, 83, and then again, 84 all said, if you're a, UNC or a U.N. member, help South Korea when you're giving those military, uh, that military assistance, do it through this unified command. Thus, the United States of America was the executive agent right. uh, for uh, the United Nations command. And because the, the words in the uh, Security Council resolution were unified command, they used that term. Uh, to be, the United Nations command.
0: Right now, so when you go to to Panmunjom on a tour, you see the the UN flags everywhere, but it's actually the U.S. military running the show.
1: Well, it's 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 a combination of the U.S. and, and the Republic of Korea military. Okay, yeah,
0: right. But the UN, in, in in practical terms, the UN doesn't really have an involvement on a on a daily basis with what's going on up there.
1: That that is that is correct. And that, they don't
0: fund it. It's not run or funded by the UN.
1: That that's correct. The the united nations command the the initial mission when you look at the uh, security council resolutions mm. was to establish the international peace and security to the region uh, so they were the combatant command during the war right and as you know the rock us combined forces command that was established in 1978 then the combatant command duties were transferred from the United Nations Command to CFC.
0: Combined Forces Command, okay.
1: However, Mm. there is in the uh, agreement uh, that established CFC a premise in there that the commander of CFC will support the commander UNC in his armistice-related duties as necessary.
0: Okay, inasmuch as the UNC is the combatant command and the Military Armistice Commission is about maintaining the armistice. Is there ever a time when those when those two bodies are at odds?
1: No, no not today. Okay. And, and that is, I think, because we have that distinction with CFC and mm. not UNC. UNC now, and General Brooks probably mentioned this to you, uh, is now a supporting command. It's uh, supporting both the Republic of Korea military uh, and the Combined Forces Command. So it would provide materials and forces... Uh, as necessary should a conflict re-arise. Right. Now, is there a conflict between those who implement and administer the armistice uh, and the operators, the mm. military operators? Periodically, there is. Ah. But we have programs in place. There, the UNCMAC has an education program that's been going on for quite a few years now, uh, specifically uh, for the demilitarized zone and the and, uh, uh, the Northwest Islands, where we have people who go out and remind the troops out there what the armistice agreement is, how it applies to them ah. in their sector of the DMZ, for example.
0: Okay, and that's both Korean and, and non-Korean troops? That's correct. Receive such education? That's correct. Right, okay. Uh, the the, the 16, 16 sending nations?
1: Well, it, yeah, it's there were 16 that provided combat forces, and then five additional that provided medical support.
0: So, in, in what ways are they still uh, involved in in Because sometimes up there you might meet, like, a, well, I've met a New Zealand uh, uh, officer there on on a tour, and, and Canadian officers. So, in what way are they still organized in uh, in in UNC and in UNCMAC?
1: Yeah, well, it it's uh, there's two parts to that. Starting back in about 2003, uh, several of the UNC member states, the UK and New Zealand specifically, Mm. contributed some troops to the UNKMAC for specific duties. Back in 2003, we had the 50th anniversary Mm. uh, of the signing of the armistice, and the commemoration ceremony that took place up in uh, Panmunjom needed a lot of support help. Uh, And so the other countries augmented the U.S. members of the UNKMAC staff. Uh, to put that together. Now, since then, especially probably after General uh was the commander of United Nations Command, a number of the countries uh, have uh, answered the call uh, to provide members to the UNC staff. Mm-hmm. So General Abrams has talked about this before too. It's It's a limited staff with a limited number, but these are people who are planners now, as I said, UNC is a supporting command, but they need to know what to support. They need to know how it will be supported, and they need to know who will support it. So countries making offers of assistance, that group, which is composed of U.S. Rock planners and then also UNC planners. So there's a, a separate UNC staff that, mm-hmm. that operates uh, to help support CFC and USFK if, if necessary too.
0: How have the attitudes of both North Korea and South Korea towards the armistice agreement and also their abiding by it uh, changed over time?
1: Well, it, it fluctuates with time. Uh, and I, I can't tell you that there's any particular stimulus uh, that makes it happen. But uh, there were times when uh, we saw a number of provocations by the KPA. And when we saw those provocations, uh, some of the response that was uh, coming from the Iraq military, was in conflict with provisions of the Armistice Agreement.
0: What would constitute a provocation? Would that be an, an example, be shooting across? What would be the lowest level provocation you could think of?
1: Probably uh, bringing weapons, crew-served weapons, into the demilitarized zone.
0: Crew-served weapons?
1: For example, a tank. Oh, you I see. You, you, you don't bring a tank. You don't bring an armored personnel carrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't bring those kinds of w- large mortar Ah, uh, where it takes more than one person. Ah. It, the for the demilitarized zone, it's intended that you. Yes, there are soldiers there. Yeah. But they have their personal protective weapons.
2: So a gun.
0: And, yes. Okay, uh, but shooting a gun could be. Would that be a provocation?
1: It. It would be both. Uh, it would be a provocation, and it could be an armistice agreement. Uh, excuse me, an armistice violation, depending on where the shot landed.
2: Uh-huh.
0: What about throwing a rock?
1: Well, if if you throw a rock at somebody from the opposing side, yeah. then yeah, that would be a provocation. Okay. It could be an armistice because the armistice says the, both sides should not take hostile actions toward uh-huh. the other side.
0: So how is the armistice agreement enforced, and who enforces it?
1: Well, if, uh, if an incident occurs, the UNC-MAC usually puts together a, uh, a special investigative team And uh, they go out to investigate the matter. Originally, under the Armistice Agreement, the Armistice Agreement provided for joint observer teams. The joint observer joint being from the North Korean Chinese side Uh, and from the UNC side. And they would go out and jointly investigate the matter. Uh, As a prelude to that, usually, each side would send out its own troops to the site of the incident. Yeah. investigate it, and then come back and then do the joint investigation, then follow it up with a MAC meeting uh, yeah. at the general officer level where they would discuss the results of what they found, usually diametrically opposed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, now, uh, because the North Koreans refuse to uh, participate in the joint observer teams, and, and we've approached them at times for major incidents, mm-hmm. uh, for example, the, the sinking of the Chonan, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. the other major incidents, and said, hey, let's form a, a joint observer team. Uh, and they, they weren't willing to do that. So it's done by special investigative teams that go out, investigate it, and then they report that not only to the UNC commander, but it's also available to the North Korean side under the armistice agreement. When it comes to violations, each side is supposed to report violations to both commanders. So in days when we were meeting more frequently, we would have meetings in pomwanjom and we would bring forth uh, what evidence we had to, uh, to document a, that an armistice violation had occurred.
0: Theoretically, how are armistice violations supposed to be dealt with? Uh, I mean, are there any uh, scope for sanctions or punitive measures
1: the, the, uh, the armistice agreement says that the commanders uh, should punish those on their side who commit violations of the armistice agreement. Right. But I can't say that uh, we've ever witnessed that.
0: So I guess as an example, as a practical example, uh, the Panmunjom axe murder incident of 1975. Six. Six. Thank you. I always get that year wrong. Um, <laughs> How how should that have been dealt with in accordance with with the armistice
1: uh, agreement? Well, in in accordance with the armistice agreement, then the two sides should have had that joint observer team get right. together. So
0: going to the site of where it happened and and, and then looking
1: and- looking at everything that happened, interviewing everybody who was involved in it. Yes, uh, and then having the military armistice commission meeting. Yeah, uh, with both sides represented at the general officer at level. the general officer level, right. and and then. Uh, uh, discussing it and resolving to take action. Now, there were meetings after the axe murders. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as a result, that's when you had that division up in Panmunjom, uh And it was, you stay on your side right. and we will stay on our side. The, the yeah. security forces were not allowed to freely cross the MDL any longer.
0: Right. And they, they put that raised little concrete footpath on the MDL in Panmunjom.
1: Yeah, and, and the the, uh, the MDL had been marked in Panmunjom already anyway. there right. There's some white stakes in Panmunjom that ah. show that, yeah.
0: Okay, but now there was like a little raised ex- Between And everyone well understood you can't go beyond this unless you're repairing a building. Right. Uh, cause that, actually, that's something that always, I always wonder about. Is how Because those buildings have been there for a long time. Obviously, there's repair yeah. work. You've got to clean the gutters. You've got to put on a new roof. How, how does that work in practice? You know, if the UN wants to fix their building, do they, you know, announce to North Korea, "We're going to go in on this and this day and cross the line and and fix the building with some workers," and and then North Korea says, "Okay." How, how does that it, actually work?
1: Uh, we we negotiate that. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, as, as you know, there there were two different colors of buildings yes, up there. Yes, blue There's and silver. The the blue and silver yep. one is the blue buildings that that the UNC is responsible for. Uh, we put together our plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ask for a meeting. And then we present our plan. And uh then we talk to uh the other side and seek their cooperation for painting the buildings because they need that every yeah. once in a while. And as you said, roofs and fixing broken things. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time it, it's fairly easy. They accommodate us, they they understand that it, it's right. normal maintenance. And vice versa, if there was a reason that they needed to come to our side. Uh, they, they've done that
0: too. Mm, okay. So I got sidetracked for a moment. So to go back to the 1976 Panmunjomax murder incident, so what was the result of the general officers' meetings that were held after the, the investigation?
1: Well, it was the, that separation. Oh, I see. Uh, the, that it's, it specifically said that the security forces, before yep. August 18th of 1976, right. the security forces could freely roam around anywhere in the joint security area, so right. our forces could go up to Pamungak right. and the buildings behind it, and vice versa. After '76, no longer.
0: It. Okay, uh, were, but were there any punitive or sanctions punitive measures or sanctions on the North Koreans who did the beatings that led to the deaths of, Not, uh, of Barrett and, and Boniface? Boniface, yeah. thank
1: you. Not that I'm aware of.
0: Okay, right. but in theory, under the armistice, they should have been punished by their own side for doing what they did. Exactly. Uh, there's a story that I heard, I don't know if it's true or not, that Barrett and Boniface, although armed, did not use their revolvers to protect themselves because they thought that might have been a violation of the armistice. Am I getting that wrong? Uh,
1: I I think it it could have been. I I think it's more from what I've heard. They did not want to uh, draw their weapons, uh, their sidearms in order not to have the situation escalate, escalate okay. yeah, and so, that, that big difference there, I think. No, yeah. that you're right, yep.
0: yeah. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, that they were uh, beaten to death with those axe handles, and and that's a very uh, very sad end.
1: Yes, yeah, so, uh, until that time, mm. that was a fairly common practice. If you talk to some of the soldiers who were assigned up in Pommernjum during that period of time, it it wasn't uncommon that. The, the soldiers were carrying clubs, if you will, right, uh, and uh, there were skirmishes from time to time.
0: Is that because clubs are not technically covered by the armistice? No,
1: uh, it's, I, I guess I'd have to speculate as yeah. to why they did that.
0: Uh, so uh, my understanding is that these days, investiga- after a, an alleged violation occurs, investigations are carried out. Uh, by the uncmac side, together with the NNSC, reports are written. They're left in the mailbox of the North Koreans to pick up, and and that's pretty much the end of it. Is that more or
1: less right? Oh yeah, uh, yes, with uh, a couple of notable exceptions. Okay, uh, and those are uh, the uh, sinking of the Chonan, ah. uh, and the uh, artillery attack on Waipido. Right. General Sharp was the commander of UNC at the time, and General Sharp directed that those special investigative reports when they were done Mm. uh, would be sent to the United Nations Security Council. And Ah. so they follow through channels, so they had to go up through U.S. military channels uh, and then over to the U.S. State Department. But the U.S. uh, representative at the UNC presented them at a Security Council meeting. And if you look through the list uh, of Security Security Council meetings, Mm -hmm. they're in there. One is— 608, and I don't remember the number of the other one, but but they're there.
0: Mm. Yeah, Uh, Both incidents took place in 2010, of course. Exactly. But
1: the the General uh, Sharp specifically wanted to be sure Mm -hmm. that this was not a case of that a major incident occurred Mm. uh, and it would not be recognized internationally. So he wanted to put those marks on the wall for all to see.
0: Instead of just filing it and forgetting it, he wanted to escalate it to the UN Security Council level to, to make sure that it was all discussed. Exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, violations can take place on land. We've, we've talked about a couple of those, such as uh, crossing the demilitarized zone into the other side. Spy missions would be an example of that too. And then there's uh, sea and air violations. We've been writing a lot about them here at NK News, about uh, sea and air violations. Before we go on, uh, you mentioned the NLL earlier in the interview, and uh, and it's an issue that seems to trip me and others up a lot. So what is the NLL? When was it... Put into place because I don't. I don't think it's in the armistice. And and what is it actually intended to do? Okay. And how does it work?
1: The the northern limit line was established by the commander of United Nations Command, uh, and it was established and he established it as a control measure uh, to restrain forces on our side, both naval and air forces, from venturing too close to the North Korean mainland, particularly in the West Sea in the Yellow Sea, where it. it the, the separation is, is very small.
0: Okay, so it wasn't put in place to stop North Koreans coming south, but to stop mainly South Koreans from possibly going too far north.
1: South Koreans and, and U.S. forces, that's correct.
0: Ships and planes.
1: Ships and planes, right.
0: Right. And, and, but was that sometime after the armistice? Because it it's was, not actually in the armistice, that's, is it?
1: That's correct. The armistice talks about contiguous waters right. and respecting the waters right. uh, that, that are under your control. And when you look at those islands out there in the west, the
0: five West Sea Islands, the
1: five West Sea Islands, the area that was would be considered under the control using the terminology from 1953 of territorial waters is three nautical miles off the shores. Yes. Okay. So this changed the area so that there were areas where you would not necessarily go. The South, the Republic of Korea Ministry of National Defense used to publish a brochure that says the uh NLL was established in August of August 30th uh of 1953
2: so
0: shortly after the signing of the armistice shortly
1: after the signing of the armistice mm-hmm. but no one that i'm aware of has been able to find ah. the document there are some references uh to some operational naval operational orders particularly uh with the, within the ROC military forces but that that date of 30 August 53 uh is a bit of conjecture gosh there's a uh an academic a uh, Dr Roerig uh who's at the uh Naval Research Center in in Newport Rhode Island yeah. and he has researched this extensively and just can't find it
0: So what's the earliest recorded date that we have got
1: Well it's it's probably that August 30th, because we're not sure we can find anything else right now.
0: Okay, so that'll work for now,
2: but it, it, it works. But it's not for now. In the armistice. Yeah.
1: And when you look at it, the way it was set up, yeah. uh, in in cases where you looked at the North Korean mainland and the islands, uh, the line is such that it it splits the difference where that's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not always possible. And point in case, yeah. if you look at uh, uh, Yongpyongdo, right. The NLL is inside the rock territorial waters, inside three nautical miles. Because if you take three nautical miles from either side, th- there's not six nautical miles between, between the, right. the north uh, shore of of do and, and uh, uh, North Korea. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as the uh, how far does, does the NLL stretch, I would venture that uh, you can't say it goes – any more than territorial waters. And
0: how far is that again? 3 nautical miles.
1: In around the islands. Okay. Around the rest of Korea, yeah. it is the now current standard of 12 nautical miles. Ah. So, if you apply that then in my opinion, yeah. the NLL in the West Sea extends out 12 nautical miles west of Pyodo.
0: Pyongyangdo. Right. In the direction of China.
1: In the direction of China. Okay. So that if you take a look at uh, the, uh, that incident that occurred recently with the uh, uh, Chinese merchant vessel mm. uh, and the firing on that merchant vessel, I think it's difficult to argue that that took place in rock territorial waters.
0: Because it was beyond the
2: 12.
1: Because it was beyond the 12. From what I saw, yeah. the, the, the data that I saw, just the distance was, was farther out. Yeah. I, I would think that there are some who interpret it when you look at the West Sea to say that the NLL goes out to the 124 east line, which is the, the latitude, of, that latitude, latitude that really divides the waters in the West Sea that are China versus Korean Peninsula. Ah. So it, it's how the, the two sides operate. When you go out the East Sea, the Sea of Japan, yeah. I would say that the same interpretation applies.
0: Mm-hmm. So twelve miles nautical miles, right?
1: So now, if you you look at the uh, the missile that was fired uh, and where it impacted,
0: right? Which one? Well, there've been, been a lot of them.
1: There was there was one that the the uh, was it impacted northeast of Ulungdo. Oh,
0: okay, yeah, yep, yep, yep. yep.
1: And and one of the, the media reports I read said it mm. landed in Korean South Korean territorial waters. Yes, did it? I don't know, mm. I, but again. Just from media reports, right. the distance from Oolongdo was uh, 100 nautical miles or more. So I would say, uh, you know, it, there's, it's questionable. It, it could have been international waters. You, it could have
2: been, have to, okay.
0: So you yeah. really need to see it on a map You've or, got to, or a satellite to, to know exactly.
1: Exactly, yeah. Once
0: it's beyond those 12 nautical miles, you can't say that's Korean ter- South Korean territorial water anymore. Right.
1: I, I, that's... I, uh, I think you'll find some that will argue the opposite. Right. Oh. Uh, but that's that's been my interpretation. Yeah. And in my 20 years in UNCMAC, that was the interpretation that that we applied.
0: Now, we we have a problem, I guess, in as much as uh, neither the NLL nor the demilitarized de- zone are national borders. Right, They're not borders between two nation states. They're not borders between two countries because, of course, North Korea and South Korea don't recognize each other. They claim jurisdiction over the whole of the Korean Peninsula. So what status do these lines have in international law?
1: They don't have any status. Uh-huh. Uh, I think there are some maps that that show the NL, particularly those in, in the, the the West Sea, the Yellow Sea, but that's all. Uh-huh. Uh, when it comes to the negotiations, the armistice, as we talked about earlier, mm. specified the islands, and it specified waters contiguous to... Yeah. So, Again, you go out three nautical miles. Once you get beyond that, whose waters are they? Right. From a North Korean perspective, that is their point of conjecture, that you can't say that anything south of the NLL is yours, the the waters, mm. not, not the, the islands. The, they, they haven't disputed the islands. You recall that back in uh early 90s, probably, they had come up with their military maritime demarcation line, right, uh, which was different than the NLL, significantly yeah, the, farther to the south.
0: Right. But with five northward-stretching fingers to cover the, the five islands. The routes up to the islands. Yes. Exactly. Very, but, very narrow fingers.
1: Yeah. But the point, their point was yeah. that the, the, the waters are not rock territorial waters. They're somebody's.
0: <laughs> well, they said there's some, they may not be ours, but
1: the point is that I, I think if, if I were in North Korea, mm. I'd be using this to try to argue, hey, we need to sit down and negotiate this and make a determination on who, blo- who owns how much water out there.
0: And isn't that something that, that uh, President Noh Moo-hyun and uh, Kim Jong-il tried to do at their summit in 2007?
1: They they did that. Uh, they tried to. Uh, they were unsuccessful. And, and uh, my understanding was that President Noh Moo-hyun had a lot of pushback from here uh, in South Korea uh, on giving up the NLL. Right. The other thing that they tried to do was to establish those joint fishing zones out yeah. there uh and that unfortunately just didn't uh, uh didn't grab hold either
2: right
0: i yeah. uh, just to to wrap up the n l l part there when did North Korea start raising objections to the n l l
1: to the best of my knowledge it was probably in the mid nineteen seventies after the u n the u s navy mm-hmm. stopped patrolling in the west sea ah. uh, and transferred that mission to the rock navy
0: ah. So once the North Korean naval vessels were coming up against or meeting or seeing rock naval vessels, that became
2: a
1: point of contention. I, I, you'd have to make that assumption, yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, so now we're talking about violations of the armistice. Can you tell us about some historical sea and air violations and how they were dealt with?
1: Okay. Uh, well, the, the, you know, the the, the banner... Uh, violations uh, obviously are uh, the sinking of Jamsuri 357 right that's uh, also
0: known as the uh, 2002 first battle of Yeonpyongdo second battle big pardon the second the, yeah you're yeah, right 98 the, right the first second battle of Pyongdo yeah. in 2002 during the world cup
1: that's right mm. that's right while kim de jong was was in in tokyo the uh, sh- sinking of the chonan and the shelling of Waipido. And even if you go back a little farther uh, on sea incidents, back in the mid '90s, the submarines, the infiltration submarines mm. that uh, uh, ended up beached in, in Sokcho also were sea type violations. Right. Yeah. In in all of those cases, yeah. I mean, we there were uh, investigations that took place. As I mentioned earlier, uh, for the sinking of the Chonan and the Waipido shelling, those reports went all the way to the Security Council. There were meetings on the uh, submarines that beached off on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. At first, the North Koreans, uh, I understand, uh, denied that they had any affiliation with that. But then later, when the Republic of Korea offered to uh, uh, return the remains Mm. of the sailors that were found on the the ship or on the submarine, uh, they were willing to, to take those remains back.
0: There was some statement of regret, I think, from Kim Il Sung, something like that. Right. It? Yeah. Wow. Now, you also. Uh, what about the? Um, I understand there was a placing of fishing barricades in the West Sea, but I don't know anything about that. Can you tell us about that?
1: Back in, I'm gonna stretch my imagination here. I, I guess I have to say maybe about 2000 and maybe 16 or so, mm-hmm. when there were the uh, fishermen out in the West Sea were being plagued by South Korean fishermen. Okay. Uh, it is. It was our understanding that the uh, DPRK licensed some Chinese fishing vessels to to fish, uh, essentially north of, of the NLL, mm. and of course some of them ventured south of the NLL periodically. Right. But the the method of fishing was significantly different than than what. Both the North Koreans and the South Koreans were doing, and uh, the Chinese, I understand, are using these drag nets across, yep. and so they're they're just picking up everything, everything yeah, uh, and and that's causing a problem out there, mm. uh, and they're depleting the resource obviously. Right. So the ROC government, trying to protect the areas, designated some areas that are close to the NLL but still within the ROC territorial waters, uh, and they put out. Uh, two different types of structures in there. They had uh, one that was kind of a big concrete structure with holes in it. Under the water. And they dropped that under the water. Yeah. Uh, and this creates an artificial reef. Yeah. And then it helps build up the habitat for the fish. Right. Uh, the others were kind of a, a rebar type structure, kind yep. of a, the barricade that you would see, but a a, a very large one. Right. And these steel barricades were put in some of those locations also. If you drag your net across— That would it, wreak havoc with the it, net. It would snare the net, yeah. probably rip the net, uh, and that would prevent uh, the Chinese from uh, uh, taking advantage of those areas. Yeah. Now, because of the location yeah. uh, that the Rock government wanted to do that, uh, General Brooks uh, insisted that there needed to be UNC involvement in that. Because it was taking place yes. in rock territorial waters, which by the definition essentially were waters that are under his control as the UNC commander. Right. Uh, so when these operations took place and the contractors went out to do this, the ROC Navy had some security vessels out there, but we also had people from UNCMAC who were either on a rock naval vessel yeah. or later at the second rock fleet headquarters in Pyeongtaek, yep, yep. uh and monitored the situation out there to be sure that first on our side nobody accidentally strayed across mm. north of the nll which it, did not happen okay. uh and that you didn't have any counter reaction from the other side uh and again that didn't happen usually with these these kinds of things and and the uh with the sinking of 5 357 The first day of the recovery operation, the North Koreans sent some vessels down. They looked at what was going on out there. They turned around, went back, and didn't come back again for the rest of the recovery operation. Uh Although prior to the operation taking place, they insisted to us in Panmunjom that we had to have their security guarantees before we began the operation, which we refused to, to accept. We said no, you you sunk our vessel out there. Uh, it's in the waters that are under our control, and we're going to do this. And and we did it
0: procedurally. What would that look like? A security guarantee from North Korea? Is that uh, in the form of a note, or just like they just say it?
1: I I suspect that the, it would be more say it than than a note. They don't like to put things in writing uh. if they can afford not to.
0: Okay, so that, so they could they could have just said it, and then you or, and then you just go ahead and do it.
1: That, that's right. Uh, or they to try to prevent the thing from ever happening, they could drag this on for forever, mm. too.
0: Meeting after meeting. Meeting after meeting after meeting. Uh, can you think of a situation where that happened?
1: I can think of a mundane situation where that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been to Jam. Yes. You uh, stand uh, on our side, and you look at the raised concrete, and our side has a bunch of pea gravel on there. Yeah. And you look on a North Korean side, north of the marker, And it's sand with weeds growing out of it. Right. For the 50th anniversary of the commemorating the signing of the Armistice Agreement, we had developed a plan to put that pea gravel all around all the buildings for vegetation control. Yes. And we started and we went up to the North Korean side and uh, with a, a dump truck and a front end loader and they took uh, one dump truck full or two dump trucks full of sand yeah. out of there so that we could be prepared to, to put down the pea gravel. The North Koreans balked at it and said, what are you doing? We didn't give you permission to do that. Stop the operation, uh, and we went for several weeks where we were meeting, uh, and the only thing they would tell us in the conference room is we want our sand back.
0: Did they get it back?
1: They got sand back. In trucks, we delivered sand to them in trucks. Yes,
0: and did they take it?
1: Yeah, they were unloaded on, on their side. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: So that you never got the gravel around there.
1: But then they, they their uh, their argument was that if their soldiers stood on the gravel, uh, it would hurt their at feet. Hurt the feet, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, it, perhaps i not I've not looked at the soles of North Korean military boots. <laughs> uh, now, what about air violations? I can think of uh, at least one, of course, uh, famously in in December 1994. Uh, a USFK helicopter went into the demilitarized zone and and was shot down. Um, So tell us about that.
1: there, There have been... A few. the uh, The number of air violations is infrequent. Thank goodness for that. Right. You know, the, the 1994 uh, incident was, uh, I think, could be easily labeled an accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happened in December. Uh, it happened the day after a recent snowfall. Ah. Uh, if you're in a helicopter and yeah. you look down, yeah, uh, it was looking like looking at a. Sheet of white paper on sure. a desk.
0: You wouldn't see the markers. You wouldn't see where the line is.
1: You, th- there were no markers uh, at the time, so there was nothing out there. Yeah. Uh, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to distinguish the terrain. That's why uh, when the, uh, the the crew of that the helicopter found that they presumed that they had been in the wrong place, uh, and they started to come down as their procedures warranted. That's when the North Koreans came out and fired on them, and they took a hard landing. Uh, which uh, unfortunately uh, killed the co-pilot. And and the pilot was uh, held for about 10 days in, in North Korea. And the the UNC, there was a, a lot of study that went on. Mm-hmm. When you take a look at that the time period, 1994, yeah. uh, when you look at animation now yeah. and fly-throughs and things like that, these things were just at the onset in 1994. Sure, yeah. And... Um, I was fortunate or unfortunate that in my job with the USFK engineers uh, that we had a special unit assigned to us that was doing that breaking technology with the U.S. Army. And uh, they were able to put together something that they could take to then Commander uh, General Laporte or, excuse me, Gary Luck and to show him how this happened Mm -hmm. and essentially where it happened and then there was a MAC meeting. The senior member of the MAC back then was a U.S. naval officer. He happened to be on leave off Peninsula because this was right around Christmas time. Right. So the uh, the then J-5, the Marine, was then directed that he had to go to Panmunjom at the MAC meeting to apologize to the North for, for this transgression. And then said that, you know, we we will— do our best to make sure this doesn't happen again.
0: So the flying into the demilitarized zone, that's, a, as you say, an accidental violation by the U.S. side of the of the, the armistice agreement. Was the firing on the helicopter by North Korea also a violation of the agreement, or are they technically allowed to do that if you if, the, if they're f- responding to a violation?
1: Uh, that, that's an interesting question. Uh, the, the fact that it took place in North Korea, as far as I know, and, and I may be wrong, but mm-hmm. as far as I know, uh, it took place at a location that was north of the DMZ.
0: Ah, okay. So, so not only did the helicopter fly across the southern boundary of the demilitarized zone, it flew over the military demarcation line and out the other side over the northern boundary line of that, it.
1: That, that's my understanding. Okay. So. Oh
0: well, in that case.
1: Then, then it would, not even, would probably be different. Yeah. That's not even exactly. covered by the armistice. Because right, yeah, right. you're in
0: North Korean territory. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But you know, things things have changed. A few years ago, during uh, the uh, I guess it was the fall dry season. A lot of brush fires. There's mm. always brush fires and and sure. especially out in the east part of the country, as you know. yeah, uh, and so the uh, the rock uh, government has firefighting helicopters that they put out, uh, and they use those particularly in the mountainous areas because that's the only way you can get in there to extinguish these fires. Yeah. And we had a firefighting helicopter that accidentally flew across mm. uh, the DMz. also he, the pilot was fixated on the smoke he saw. Uh, he knew he was going up to put out a fire. And when he saw this smoke, that's right where he went to dump his water. Now, there's a, there is a system in place uh, to where they can contact him with voice communications and tell him that uh, he's entered the DMZ. Mm, you have turn to turn back. around and come back. But by the time he received that communication, it was already too late. Oh. But he, he turned around and came back. We did an investigation. Uh, And then in Panmunjom, we told the North Koreans what had happened, uh, that it was all accidental. I think they understood that, too. Mm. Uh, There's, uh, I think, uh, unlike in the early days after the armistice was first signed, uh, there's a bit more uh, pragmatism at times that, okay, things can happen. Mm. Uh, And so, yeah, you have to take some of these things with a grain of salt. On the other hand, you recall the... uh, uh, UAVs that the North Koreans flew into mm. the Republic of Korea. S-
0: some drones to take photos of the Blue House and yeah. things, yeah.
1: And and these, I mean, you, you're talking about flying across the DMZ yeah. and flying into the territory on, uh, on this side, right? Uh, you know, we protested those to the other side, yeah. Uh, but yeah, those those are distinct air, air violations, also.
0: Although drones, of course, not literally covered by the armistice, but that, well, they, but any activity that includes flying south of the demilitarized zone would well, be. Well,
1: yeah. First of all, the, the armistice says don't fly over the uh, DMZ, ah. so operating that vehicle over the air vehicle over the DMZ would be a violation. Secondly, there's a subsequent agreement to the armistice agreement hmm. that says that surveillance aircraft, ah. and the drones are surveillance aircraft. Yeah. Those fall into that category, so that those aren't supposed to be flown in that area. Also,
0: what about the like? Um, what's that? Uh, the U.S. spy plane, the U2, that flew really high. Right. Would Would that have been covered by that agreement too?
1: Well, to the best of my understanding, the U2 never overflew ah. the the uh, North Korea. Okay, now,
0: let's talk about some uh, some criticisms of the armistice agreement. There are people in South Korea uh, who criticize the armistice agreement. Uh, you've been a student of it for a long time. What criticisms are, are commonly made and to what extent are they valid or have merit?
1: Well, I, I guess there, are, there is the number one criticism that the DMZ is part of the, the, or at least the southern half of the DMZ, is part of the Republic of Korea. Uh, so if I have relatives who in the distant past lived up in that area, I would like to be able to go into the DMZ unfettered mm-hmm. uh, and at certain times of the year pay homage to my, the remains of, of my ancestors. That criticism comes up from time to time. Unfortunately, my interpretation, the DMZ is not part of the Republic of Korea or the DPRK. It is a separate military area. Someday the southern half will be, and when that time comes... Then that access can be granted. But right now, you can't go in there to do that. Doing other things in the DMZ, uh when No-Mu Hyun was the president, mm. uh there was a suggestion to build a planetarium uh in the DMZ.
0: Uh, in the DMZ, okay. In the,
1: great place for a planetarium. Sure. I mean, you don't have any no light pollution. pollution. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been great. But… Is that something that could be accepted by right. both sides? Uh, would both sides think that the other side wasn't spying on them? Right. So th- there, there were some difficulties. There were even uh, some suggestions periodically that some UN agencies who were affiliated with activities here in the Republic of Korea should have their offices up in the DMZ mm-hmm. and close to the military demarcation line.
0: Like a World Food Program or something. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And there's difficulty with that. Yeah. Uh, and, and think about it, you know, from a practical standpoint, uh, there aren't a lot of roads that go up into the DMZ. Yeah. There aren't the communications that go up in there. So if you're a UN uh, employee, you're kind of sitting there by yourself in a tent almost. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it It just doesn't work.
0: Uh, In 2015, Park Tae-gyun, a professor of Korean studies at Seoul National University, he gave an interview in which he said that the the armistice agreement was still valid but not functioning as it was intended. He said that there were uh, fundamental structural problems pointing, for example, to the fact that no maritime border was agreed upon and the fact that more and better weapons than those available in 1953 have been brought in by both sides. And I'm just giving two examples. I'm sure he mentioned others. Do you agree with that assessment that there are structural problems to the armistice agreement and it is not functioning as intended?
1: In, in the purest sense of, of definition, it would be hard to argue with that. Uh-huh. Uh, however, again, we go back to our discussion earlier. Yeah. Armistice agreement wasn't intended to last 70 years. Yeah. So therein lies the issue. It's not that there are problems with the armistice agreement because mm-hmm. – Paragraph 62 says you can amend the armistice agreement.
0: By mutual agreement.
1: By mutual agreement. So if there are things that we want to change, we can do that, but we don't. We can't get that mutual agreement. We can't get both sides to sit at the table right now anyway. Uh, But that doesn't mean that the door is closed completely. The same thing applies with the the weapon systems. The armistice agreement allows for replacement. Mm -hmm. Well, nobody's going to fly B-17s. For forever. So I think you have to, from a practical standpoint, look at some cases where uh, the weaponry is is uh, uh, something that uh, should be allowed. Although, again, it all ought to be settled at the conference table mm-hmm. uh, and, and not by just either side saying, yes, we're going to do this.
0: When the U.S. brought nuclear weapons to the Korean Peninsula in the 1950s, which were ultimately removed in the 1990s under George H.W. Bush, was that a violation of the armistice agreement?
1: That's a good question. I I really don't know. I I I'd never thought of that.
0: Cuz I think North Korea complained that it was a violation. I could see where they're coming from.
1: Right. I I I think having long-range artillery, you could make a you could make a case for it.
0: Uh, and as I, I touched on before, uh, the fact that the the UNC is actually you know it, it's the UN in name, but it's run by the US, that's also a uh, a common criticism that UNCMAC is a body in UN name only, but it's really a, a, an agent of the American military.
1: Well, uh, you know, that that kind of takes the, uh, that's follows the, the North Korean argument. When you take a look at the UN uh, and the funding for all UN programs, mm-hmm. all UN programs aren't funded fully. Uh, so to ask for these uh, the United Nations command to be funded by the UN mm. uh, may be just a bridge too far. Uh, within the U.N. Uh, The U.N. may be perfectly content with the United States of America uh, footing the bill for it or the other countries, for that matter, who send troops over here because they help pay for their troops that are here also.
0: Is the U.S. an obstacle standing in the way of Korean unification?
1: I don't think so. Uh, I think the U.S. in supporting the U.N. command and Panmunjom as a location for dialogue has tried to promote that. Uh, as much as possible, promote
0: so, unification or dialogue.
1: Well, promote dialogue, which could eventually could lead to. to yeah. I mean, nobody. I don't think it's it's hard to argue that unification is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unification means that the the parties that would reunite uh, have to agree to they that. To agree, yeah. And uh, when we look at the polls, uh, that varies uh, time to time. And we go along. The younger generations in Korea don't seem to be quite as willing to want to uh, go down that path.
0: Sometimes I hear uh, some people in South Korea say that the U.S. is actually opposed politically to uh, to Korean unification. Do you think that's true?
1: I don't think so. I, I've never heard that.
0: Uh, since Kim Il-sung first mentioned it in his New Year's speech of 1990, North Korea has accused South Korea and its ally, the United States, of building a giant concrete wall on the southern side of the demilitarized zone, forever solidifying the division between the two Koreas. Now, from Whitehorse Hill in Toruan County, it it does appear that there's some kind of horizontal concrete structure visible near the Demilitarized Zone. What is it and why is it there?
1: There there is an obstacle to prevent uh, tanks uh, or uh, other heavy equipment from coming to the south. It's a it's there for operational reasons. Does it stretch
0: the, all the way across the Korean Peninsula?
1: I don't know. I personally, I don't know.
0: Okay, but you haven't seen anything on maps or in on satellite photographs that seems to stretch all the way across the whole demilitarized zone.
1: No, it, I, I, and I don't. I don't think it's in the demilitarized zone. Mm-hmm. I, I think. Okay. I think the uh, what they are complaining about is something that was an obstacle that was in place outside just outside of the demilitarized zone mm,
0: it it may be i do remember on my last trip to uh, to north korea in 2019 they took us to a mountaintop from which you could see something that looked to be a concrete wall like structure and they gave us a long lecture about that and uh, it i i feel like it almost took half a day i mean it, it, they really put a lot of time in taking us up there giving us a briefing and showing mm. us and saying this is a dreadful thing that the americans and the south koreans have done to permanently solidify, you know, uh, the division of Korea?
1: It's there for defensive purposes. Uh, I think that uh, if uh, the two sides could Mm. uh, uh, reach some degree of rapprochement, uh, I think those kinds of things are the things that could go away, just like the uh, uh, the guard posts in the DMZ.
0: Well, and that leads me to, in 2018, then-president of South Korea Moon Jae-in and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un signed this comprehensive military agreement uh, tell us about your impressions of that agreement and how it fit within the context of the existing armistice agreement.
1: Like all agreements, you know, there is good and good points and bad points. Uh, there are parts of the uh, CMA, the com- uh, Consolidated, I guess, military agreement, that are obviously uh, derived from the spirit of the armistice agreement. Uh, specific point in case uh, that the soldiers in the joint security area up in Jam would not carry weapons. Mm. This takes us back to, to the, the way things were yeah. before the 18th of August of 1976. Yeah. So that's a good thing. Okay. On, uh, on the negative side, you might point out to say that uh, there are some restrictions that have been made operationally. For example, some of the no-fly zones that were created is it
0: with, within or or outside the demilitarized? It, zone? It's
1: outside the demilitarized zone. But if you're a military operator and you were flying a helicopter or a drone before, mm. and now you can't fly in that particular area, yeah. uh, then then obviously there are some concerns about that. Got it. But, but I think it, you know it. It's a balanced account. It it, it tried to do the best it could uh, with what it had.
0: Is this? Uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago that there's a paragraph in the Armistice Agreement, sixty-two, maybe that allows for amendments to the agreement by mutual consent. Does the CMA fall under that? Is that what the CMA is? No. No. no.
1: It, it, we maintain at least 27 subsequent agreements to the armistice agreement. For example, uh, I earlier had mentioned that there's a subsequent agreement that, you now I forgot what it was, it was about, but for example, the buildings in and Yes how those would, how that would all be arranged uh, was a separate agreement mm-hmm. that was done after the armistice agreement right. and it was done under the armistice agreement.
0: Okay, but the CMA is not under the armistice? Is, no, is, is it alongside, parallel to the armistice agreement? Well no,
1: the, the CMA is, is a bilateral agreement between Iraq and the DPRK. So right. it's not any different from the 1972 or 1991 uh, or 2000 uh, agreement really, hmm. uh, although it, it's focused primarily on military matters, but there are some, some things in the CMA that are repetitious. For example, it mentioned the uh, the joint military commission being used to resolve differences, and and that has been in inter-Korean agreements in the past. Ah. But the two sides have not been able to agree on establishing the JMC. Right. Th- that's the sticking point. That's the the point that needs emphasis. So it's
0: not the making of agreements, but the, in, the 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 enacting of the agreement. Exactly. Have you been keeping up with the news about the DMZ and the NLL since you retired in 2020?
1: I, I try to. Yes.
0: <laughs> How do you see recent allegations of violations and enforcement of the Armistice Agreement after the signing of the 2018 uh, CMA?
1: I guess there there has. To the best of my knowledge, there hasn't been as many violations, not the kind of violations that that we would see uh, before that agreement. For example, some of the shooting that took place right. uh, in, the, in the DMZ, we, we don't see that. On the other hand, the, all the missile launches mm. that have been taking place, that's something that, that when it's been occurring, although you could put it under the category of neither side should... Take hostile actions against the other side. Mm. Well, it's not really a hostile action against our side if you're firing a, a short-range missile from one on, uh and killing fish out in the right, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it it it's difficult. But uh, does it contribute? Does the CMA contribute to the, the maybe things getting better? Maybe. COVID did, too, uh, because everybody went inside. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, there's, there's something valid to yeah. to be said for that, too. Uh, it would have been nice uh, if under the CMA that uh, some of the guard posts that were supposed to the, – the iteration, of the next iteration of removing guard posts from within the DMZ – if that had taken place. Ah,
0: they only went to the first step.
1: They only did the first iteration ah, and, and stopped. And there was so supposed to be more. There was supposed to be more. And, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, the the, the thought process was, yeah. hey, we'll take them all out, which is paragraph, I'm going to say 13A. Yes. But it, it's in the armistice agreement to remove all the entanglements and barricades. So, yeah, it's uh, it's within the spirit of the armistice agreement. So, right. yes, we'd like to see that.
0: Well, yeah the a uh, couple of weeks ago North Korea the, the North Korean Air Force flew a large number of sorties i want to say 180 very close to the demilitarized zone was that uh, something that they shouldn't have done under the CMA where it was a no fly zone
1: i i don't know i uh really uh i know that they uh, that they cross that tactical action line the tell but it's almost impossible in some of their cases to operationally not cross the TAL. Mm. But the TAL is in North Korea. It's north of the demilitarized zone also. Uh-huh. But it, it's a, it's a tripwire so that if the uh. Uh, the uh, military on this side sees aircraft cross that particular line, then you say, oh, wait a minute, we need to, to take action.
0: Is there a TAL on this side too?
1: Well, the, the tell was established by the military on this side observing North Korea. Ah. Uh,
0: they, they may or may not have one looking at this side. Right, yeah. Okay, so if the South Korean Air Force or U.S. Air Force crosses some line that we're not aware of, they may scramble their jets.
1: Right, and I don't think, uh, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but I think there's a, a, a question as to, you know, how much they can really see with what our— our or, or aircraft are doing. Mm. Is the CMA holding? In in certain areas, it is. In Panmunjom, if you go to yeah. uh there's the soldiers there still aren't carrying weapons.
0: Are they walking around?
1: Well, that's the other thing that COVID has prevented them from walking oh, around. Right, so, yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you think North or South Korea will, or both, will declare the CMA null and void, and we're back to where we were before 2018?
1: I think, I don't think North Korea will. They will set that trap, I think, to try to uh, get somebody on this side to do that. Uh, you've probably read the same articles I have recently that there are arguments for why President Yun, uh should not do that. My personal opinion is that that makes all the sense in the world that he should not uh, abrogate the, the, the mm-hmm. CMA uh, when it's violated by the other side. He right. needs to, to call, call the attention. Yep, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so leave it as it is. Uh, Last section here, looking at the future, doing away with the armistice. How can the armistice be ended, superseded, or no longer necessary? Well,
1: you know, the the end, and I've got paragraph 62 in front of me, Uh talks about uh, articles and paragraphs of this armistice agreement shall remain in effect until expressly superseded either Mm -hmm. by mutually acceptable amendments and additions or by provision of an appropriate agreement for a peaceful settlement at the political level ah. between both sides
0: which which cuz co- as we start, said very early on uh, the armistice agreement is is an agreement between militaries uh, one of which we no longer know how to contact that's the chinese people's volunteers they don't have All an right. email address or a po box All right so that 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 it's not even important cuz it could simply be north and south korea at the political level saying here we have a solution and that would then supersede or do away with the armistice agreement if i understood that correctly
1: yeah i i think uh you would probably i would think that it would need an endorsement uh by the unc mm-hmm. uh and uh, i would think that the international community would also have to endorse that it, it's like the uh, the end of war uh, mm-hmm. declaration that, that president moon had had suggested yeah. uh i i think it needs some work but i it, it that alone will not do away with the armistice agreement.
0: Okay, so if the two Koreas wanted to put an end to the demilitarized zone and settle a border or unite somehow, what would they need to do to get that endorsement, that buy-in?
1: Well, I, I think you need a, that peace agreement. Ah, okay. I, I, or I, I should say a a peace regime because mm. there's more to it than just a piece of paper that says, yes, we both agree. Uh, the, the peace regime would con- would also entail monitoring uh, for some period of time, to make sure that uh, the provisions within that uh, peace agreement are being upheld before one would declare that it is final.
0: Now is it possible that u um, s political leadership at at such a time for political reasons could decide to slow walk or st- or or be an obstacle to
1: that? I guess anything's possible, <laughs> but I, I, I you know I couldn't speculate on that. I have no idea. Mm-hmm.
0: Would U.S. policy towards Korea in general or North Korea in particular uh, be any impediment to the two Koreas deciding to call an end to the war?
1: I don't think so. Uh, I think what we saw in the discussions with the uh, uh, end of war declaration uh, showed that there is a concern to have that kind of a vehicle in place, but it, it required more discussion on both sides, discussion on one side first and then to get the, the uh, opposing parties together after that.
2: And now you
0: were there, um, you were working for UNKMAC in 2003 when there was the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Armistice Agreement, and also in 2013 when there was the 60th anniversary of the Armistice Agreement. How how were those anniversaries commemorated?
1: Well, in, in 2003, uh, it was a massive, massive commemoration. Uh, on that day, and it poured rain down that day. I'll never forget it. That is July, Uh, yeah. We had 2,500 people in Jam.
0: That's a lot of people.
1: That's a lot of people. The area you've been to Jam, the area behind Freedom House, that large paved area, all of that had been covered with tents. Wow. uh, And there were chairs. And there was representatives from all of the countries. Uh, that had participated in the uh, Korean War. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Prime Minister of uh, New Zealand, Helen Clark.
2: Helen yeah, Clark, yeah. Uh,
1: she she gave a speech that day. Henry Kissinger was there to uh, represent the United States. Wow. Uh, and he gave a speech later on that day uh, on Yongsan at uh, 10 o'clock at night uh, to uh, signify that the, uh, the guns had gone silent. Wow. Uh, and uh, Beckson Yup, oh, uh, the yeah. legend, uh, was was up there too. So uh, it was a, a the fiftieth was 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 a big deal. Mm. Uh, I can't say I recall very much from 2013. Right. Uh, but yeah, the fiftieth obviously was was quite the thing. Uh, and uh, had you been on Yongsan that evening too, they put out a uh, the the small cannon or battery that they used. Uh, for ceremonial purposes, uh, and they fired a salute—I don't know, twenty-one gun wow. salute or whatever it was—and yeah. exactly at ten o'clock at night, yeah. the last round was fired, uh. and all the lights went out. Whoa. And it was intended to be that way, and not a word was said after that. That was the end of the ceremony. But it was such a poignant, yeah, thing. It, it was just—it was amazing.
0: Now, next year, 2023, we'll see the 70th anniversary of the signing of the Armistice, which, as you pointed out a couple of times, wasn't supposed to last more than a year at best. Mm -hmm. What do you expect to see in terms of commemoration activities?
1: Well, that's really hard to say. I I think uh, the most difficult thing is, if we go back to 2003, 20 years ago, those veterans that uh, took place in the Korean War Mm. were in in their 70s, Mm -hmm. maybe some in their 80s. Now most are in their 80s and 90s, uh, so it becomes more difficult. Uh, The Ministry of Patriots and Veterans Affairs brings those people back on those annual trips, which is a wonderful thing, Uh, but it's difficult for them to travel for, for such an activity too. I would like to see personally, I'd like to see some sort of a commemoration up in Pawan back in the days uh, long before my time at, at uncmac uh, there was always offers to the north to uh, send a delegation over to participate because these weren't victory celebrations this was a commemoration of the signing of the armistice and and ask the north to participate again we've done and done those in the past made those offers but uh, uh, they haven't come over to do it.
0: Because course, North Korea, I think, sees it as a victory. They they call it Victory Day. Yeah, it's a, yeah victory yeah. of
1: the war of the fatherland, right. yes. Uh,
0: well, I want to thank you uh, very much for coming on the show today, John Brzezinski. It's been a great pleasure talking to you and learning a lot more about the armistice.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I, um, I hope that we educate people on more about what the armistice is.
0: Yeah, and there's still a, a lot of talk. We weren't able to talk about the Kaesong Industrial Complex or Kumgangsan or uh, transportation corridors, uh, separated families, uh, defections by U.S. military to North Korea. There's a lot of things. So hopefully we'll have you back again uh, next year if if we're able to.
1: Okay, I'd be glad to come back. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of today's podcast. If you already have an NK News subscription, please take a look at our NK Pro platform, which offers unparalleled services specifically catering to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. You can inquire about access at membership at nknews.org today. Also, if you have any feedback, questions, or guest recommendations, please send them to podcast at nknews.org. Our thanks, as always, go to Brian Betts and Arius Dare for facilitating this episode, and to Gabby Magnuson, our post-recording producer genius who cuts out all the bathroom breaks and uh, drinking noises, etc. Thank you very much, Gabby. (laughs) Listen again next
2: time.